So we're going to continue our Sunday sermon sessions in the Gospel of John. And we've been learning a great many wonderful things about Jesus and also about his enemies. And we will find ourselves this morning in John chapter 9. And we're going to look at the portion of scripture found in verse 1 all the way through verse 12 in regards to the healing of a man who was born blind. Thus far, we see the Christ fulfilling the prophets in his ministry, in teaching the people the necessity of repentance and the new birth and this kingdom that he will soon be crowned king. And as a matter of fact, in this chapter, in a matter of, I think, three months, he will be at the cross, dying for the salvation of mankind to be possible. And we see in this here portion of scripture, the uh, moment in which he is found after uh, the feast that had taken place that we looked at in sessions prior, and another one to come forward. And we've seen how in fulfilling in his ministry, uh, the hostilities that have been brewing against him from the Jews, and the Jews specific to the context of the religious leadership of the Sanhedrin. But we see the good and the compassion and the forgiveness that is extended to the people in his teaching, in his doctrine, and those who are warmly receiving his word and are being saved, are being cured, are being made whole, who are having demons cast out. This man walking among them in the first century could control the weather. He could raise the dead. He could do these things. And it was all to confirm the purpose of his word to be accounted, recorded, witnessed. Because within the word, and his word is spirit, within the spirit we can receive the instructions as they were given and understand and come to believe and come to act upon our faith, trust in Jesus through these many accounts that we can read. And very powerful are they. And that, of course, had us recognize Jesus defend his deity. He is God on earth. He is man, but he is God on earth. And he was being challenged. And he's been tempted. And they would try to test him and try to snare him. And the hostilities continued to grow to the point in which they sought to murder him. They treated him unfairly, without justice. And not only him, but all who would dare to follow him. These hostilities, these religious leaders of the day, they had grown accustomed to controlling the people, to oppressing them, and having them controlled. And Jesus came to liberate them from that control. And the sinful things that come around all that control. Uh, and uh, 
we've been walking with him through the many chapters thus far in these accounts. And it leads us this morning to chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And we'll begin to read together and see the information. Verse 9. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Interesting language the Holy Spirit writes in this account. Jesus saw with his eyes a man who was born without the ability to see. Yet Christ saw him, recognized him. To do so, one's heart must be paying attention to the opportunity to minister. Do we recognize individuals in this community who may have need of help? Well, certainly we should. And we should see it in each other as well. And have that humble, thoughtful, selfless heart to recognize an opportunity to minister, to be a servant, a public servant. And so Christ recognizes this moment and has compassion on the man and will seek further to confirm his power, to confirm his, uh, the word he speaks through the power he has, these signs. And it's important for us to remember chapter 8, verse 12, where it speaks, and I quote, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here we are in chapter 9, verse 1, Christ is passing by in these individuals who may be lame, who may be blind, uh, they would be found in the uh, location of the gate entrance so that they could beg alms of the people going in. Uh, for illustration purposes, you might find needy individuals in our community at locations where there is human tra uh, traffic, perhaps at stoplights, perhaps at the door of the Colosseum before an event, locations like that. So this individual was found at a location which would be the gate where people pass by and he could beg alms. He could ask for a donation. This is how these individuals survived in the first century Palestine. They had to beg alms in order to provide a meal or things of that nature. And Christ sees him. A man who cannot see, Christ sees. At times we are blind, but I assure you, Jesus sees us. And his disciples asked him in verse 2, Rabbi, that means teacher, who sinned? Interesting question. Who sinned? This man, this blind man from birth, or his parents, that he would be born in that condition? Interesting, again, we are my, perhaps mindful of Job's friends who are certain there must have been a sin committed for Job's sorrow and pain. What did you do? You must have done something to deserve this kind of pain, or deserve this kind of situation. And we all understand that to a certain degree, 
If we make foolish decisions, we're going to win foolish prizes. Interesting question they ask. They are seeking an answer to something that is not the priority at hand. This man's blind and Christ seeks to heal him. <laughs> if we uh, arrive at a scene where an accident has happened in the community, we may immediately, in priority, seek to help those who may be injured. How they got there and how it all happened can come with time. But we need to stop the bleeding, or this man or woman or child will die. So let's not sit back and philosophize on how this all took place. There's someone dying that needs help. We'll figure out how we got there afterwards. Structure. Priority. Christ knows the priority. He sees this man born blind from birth, but his disciples, not acute to the spiritual matter, like, well, how did he get there? Was it something he done? Did he sin? Or was it his parents? And again, there is certainly consequence to foolish decisions. But in speaking in this way revealed in the text, this man must have inherently been born in that condition. So who's to blame for it, right? Well, Jesus answers in verse 3. It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, what does that mean? Well, first off, one is not born guilty of sin. So this individual, who might have been blind from his mother's womb, was not guilty of a sin that would demand his condition to be blind. And all who teach such erroneous doctrines out there in the world, masquerading as Christianity, are lying to us. A child is innocent before the eyes of God. And so it would not have been of his own foolish decision or guilt of sin as a child to have been born blind. And I think the disciples would have known that. But would it have been of ancestral consequence? Could it have been that something his parents were doing or had done would have caused the child in the womb to have had this condition? We understand that is possible. We understand individuals in our community, in our era, if they do or participate or intake hardcore narcotics, it's going to affect the well-being and health of the baby in the belly. And sometimes these poor children, they are delivered with a great many health conditions because of the sins the parents participated in. Could that be the case? Is that why this man is blind? Well, Jesus says, neither or. It's not of his own accord. He was not born guilty of sin. He was not in his own capability in that, in, in, in that innocence to have done anything to be found guilty of sin. The law did not apply to him. A child is innocent. It's not his parents either. But what is it? 
And here's where we have to really understand the text in context and not apply something that does not belong. Some might say, well, God purposely had that child blind for this very moment. Not so. Not so. He is a product of procreation in a fallen world. He was born blind because this is a fallen world. And we are subject to the things of a fallen world. Natural disasters happen. Why? Because it's a fallen world. Why do innocent people find themselves the recipients of murder? Well, it's at the hands of a murderer. The consequences of a fallen world are so that a man can be born blind. It just is. But what Christ was going to utilize is the works of the Father through him with this moment and opportunity. If you are walking in the community and you find a needy person, a homeless person, who has not eaten and needs food, well, if you have the compassion in your heart of Christ, you're going to want to help that person with food. Did God create that person from birth to be a homeless person in the streets? No. But can we utilize that opportunity to do good to our fellow man? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jesus says, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents. And let us understand, friends, before we move forward, what sin is. Sin, the scriptures say, is lawlessness. That means you break God's law. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate your neighbor and you hate yourself, aren't you guilty of sin? Of course you are. You've broken his law. If God says, this is the law which keeps us structured in living upright, morally so, then we follow that. To deviate from that is to corrupt ourselves and practice lawlessness. Was this man guilty of breaking God's law? Or was his parents guilty of breaking God's law? Jesus tells them, it's not about that. This moment is allowed and will produce the works of God. Neither this man has sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Through this moment, this opportunity, we are going to see the power of the Christ, his love and compassion. We're going to see something supernatural, something miraculous and instantaneously activated, something that can be observed as true and genuine, authentic, miraculous activity. He continues and says in verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Friends, context is most important. Who is he speaking of and why? He's speaking to his disciples, 
He's speaking of himself. We cannot hijack these verses and apply things that do not apply to us, but we can certainly learn from this recorded account indeed what does apply to us in a practical application. We must work the works of him who sent me. He is speaking of his disciples and himself towards the Father. Why? Because he is about to die in about three months. That is the light and the darkness. The darkness, his death is coming. He will no longer be found literally, physically with them walking on this earth. He will have been taken away to the right hand of his Father. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Friends, pay attention. Here's an application. All of us have an expiration date. Oh, I'll obey the gospel when I get older or when I have more time. When things settle down, after I've had my career, after I've been able to achieve this, that, or the other. I'll look at the gospel. I'll read the Bible when I get more time. Friends, we all have an expiration date. That timeline ends. Christ himself had an expiration date while walking on earth among mankind. We need to be wise to utilize and be productive of each day, each hour we have for the greater good of the kingdom. That means at work, as an employer or employee, that means at school, that means with coworkers, that means family, friends, neighbors, everything must be in priority to seek ye first the kingdom, Matthew 6, 33. To recognize the truth which liberates us from the bondage of lies, John 8, 32, 31, through the scriptures, mind you, thy word is truth, John 17, 17, we must live the life of a faithful Christian. If even Christ, with all his power, knew that his time had an ending and that they needed to work the works of the Father, then in application, friends, we must work the works of our Master. Time is but a vapor. It really is. And some of us know that more so than others. It just goes by so quickly. So quickly. I spoke to a fellow Christian who has a great many more years of experience than we do and has ministered to a great many more than we have put together. And he has sat next to the beds of brethren who have departed this earth time and time and time and time again. And he told me the number one thing that always came up before a brother or sister departed this earth as he held their hands as their minister was this. I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have done more. That's kind of telling, isn't it? I guess we could always have done more. And I guess it's natural that we find ourselves in the moment of departure saying, I wish I would have done more. But I think if we remain tender to that cause we have in the gospel, then we will take each day to do the best we can, right? 
even if it's at work, even if it's with friends, even if it's at school, whatever. We'll do the best we can to work the works of our Master, Jesus Christ. Because tomorrow is not promised. The next hour is not promised. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is speaking of His imminent death. He is going to allow it to happen in three months from this here moment we are reading. It's coming. So we need to do what is correct. What is He telling His disciples? It don't matter how He got there. Let's just save the man. We need to fulfill the prophets. We need to keep working. We can talk about how he got there afterwards. He needs to see. Verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is no longer walking among us in physical, literal form. But the words of the Holy Spirit are well and alive. And this is what we have. And what a beautiful thing we have. Verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Whose eyes? The blind man's eyes. Now why on earth is Jesus doing that? Listen. Some of the most prestige scholarly minds are still debating the theological perceptions of what took place and why he did that. Hey, listen, he did it. He just did it. There is significance. There is purpose. And whether we know or not will not hinder the doctrine in which we must follow and obey. But this is what Jesus did. He spat on the ground saliva, and made clay of the spittle, a mud of sorts, and applied the clay to the eyes of the blind man. There is symbolism there, perhaps? And said to him, in verse 7, pay attention now, go, wash in the pool of Shalom. And Shalom is translated sent. That's interesting, because that pool needed individuals to be sent to bring water to the location, which is interesting to me. Go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated sent, and that's interesting in another way. <laughs> he is sending this man to a pool called Sen. <laughs> yeah. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. He went and washed and came back seeing. If the man had not went and not washed and not bathed, by the way, he was not there to take a bath and just relax in there and float about in the pool. He was there for a purpose to get the the clay out of the eyes, to wash that away. And imagine, for the first time ever, seeing. I still remember the first time I got my first pair of glasses 
after the teacher at school and my parents had figured out, I think the boy's blind. <laughs> and I still remember the optometrist doing this and saying, listen, you may feel nauseous, your head may spin. You're going to see something you've never seen before. I'm like, okay. And he proceeds to do that, and I proceed to do this. I can see, right? It was amazing to me. I can see. I can read things on the wall. See, I see the word there. It says faith. I can see joy. I see remember. I see remember. I can see words. It was amazing to me. But what a smidgen of that compared to having been born blind. Colors, everything, just whoa. I assure you, a true conversion to Jesus Christ, a true conversion to Jesus Christ when you are born out of water and the Spirit, a spiritual joy is found in the same manner. I'm saved. I can see that I've been washed of my sins. Going back, of course, to the new birth, John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. He says, so he went away and washed and came back seeing, therefore the neighbors, in verse 8, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? He went from sit and beg to went and washed. Big difference in one's life. From sitting, having only known dirt among the trampling feet of the traffic, begging, solely relying on the benevolence of someone who would give him the hope of a meal during the day. To now having went, washed, seeing. He now gets to walk uprightly with the rest. Interesting, isn't it? And individuals knew him in the community. They knew of him, and it's interesting again how the Spirit speaks of the word see and saw. Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. And still others were saying, nah. But he, liked, he, he looks like him though. And he kept, that means he continuously kept telling the crowds, these people, I am the one. What is he doing? He's defending the faith. He's defending his trust in what had taken place. No, that can't be him. It is me, I see. No, you've not been saved by Jesus. I have. I went and I washed and I came out of that water saved, born again. So they were saying to him in verse 10, How then were your eyes opened? Oh, man. Is that really the cause of conversation? Can we just not celebrate and find joy? Goes back to the disciples. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? He's born blind. Let's heal him. How then were your eyes opened? 
They are opened. He answers and says, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go and wash. So I went and washed. And what was the result of going and washing? One plus one makes what? Two. And what is two? Seeing. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So the person believes and he goes and is washed, born again out of water in the Spirit. And what is this individual now? Saved. Go to Shiloh and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. You see the faith of the man? How many today are told, go and wash and be saved by the power and blood of Jesus Christ? Eh, I got questions. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not certain about it. I'll wait. I, I'm going to wait a while for that. You know, I, I got things to do. I'm busy. I still have tomorrow. I got... Well, who, I, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, everyone has their own interpretation of those Bible verses. I'll need to go ask my reverend, my pastor, my preacher, my priest, my pope. Mom and dad, the co-workers, the neighbors. I'll need to ask someone else. Who do you need to ask? Who wrote the book? Can you not read with your eyes? Ah. Go to Shalom and wash. So I went away and washed. And I received sight. And they said to him in verse 12, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. A man who was born blind can see. What's with all the questions? Let's celebrate. Let's have joy. And of course, in our next session, Lord willing, we shall see the great hostility of the religious leaders in regards to to a moment in which Christ practiced his compassion, a sign, a powerful, miraculous occurrence to confirm the word. You and I today are given Acts 2.38, we are given Mark 16.16, 16. we are given all sorts of verses which explain we must go and do in order to receive. This man, this blind man did not meritoriously earn anything. He just did what he was told to do because it was in his heart to be humble. And I assure you, once you've been found in the dirt for decades, begging people for alms, you're not going to argue with Jesus. You're just going to go and wash and see. He did not meritoriously earn anything. He just did what he was told to do and he became a recipient of of the freely given gift of sight. Jesus Christ saves souls yet this day and this hour. And he does so when we obey his commands. If you love me, keep my commands. We cannot meritoriously earn salvation. 
But he has told us, if you believe, if you repent, if you confess Christ as your Lord and Master, if this is organically, spiritually progressing in your life, in your mind, then you qualify to be born again. Go, look, water. Go down into the water. Come up out of the water. Be saved. Be added to the kingdom. And here's what's so powerful. It wasn't the spittle and it wasn't the clay. It was doing what Jesus said. It's not the water. It's not the individual helping you go down in the water. It's Jesus saving your soul. And that sadly is the connection that those who have since created their own gods miss. That will conclude our sermon session this morning. And uh, we will proceed with a song.